Would you kindly remain standing as we prepare to hear the word of the Lord? And as Jen comes to read this morning, just want to uh, remind you of a couple of prayer requests. Of course, uh, many of us followed closely the happenings in Moncton uh, this past week. And uh, we want to continue as a community of faith to remember those who are grieving in this time. We think of Seattle Pacific, uh, a Nazarene ordained elder. is the president of that university and the violence that happened there. We think of in our own city and we think across the world to many places and many people who are suffering. In particular, in our own community, we want to think of Bella Gilbert who's lost her only uh, remaining sister. And so we want to keep Bella in prayer as well this morning. Would you now uh, turn to the Word of God in Numbers chapter 11 as Jen reads. Uh, readings from Numbers 11, 24 to 30. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. However, two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's, Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Let's just pray. Dear God, thanks for this word. Thanks for the picture of the Holy Spirit being active. I pray that we'd make space for Holy Spirit to be here in this time, and you give us eyes to see and ears to hear as Stu preaches. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jan. Wonderful singing this morning. Uh, I heard your voices, and uh, it is wonderful and encouraging to hear um, the words that God has placed in, in the lips and in the thoughts of uh, songwriters to be professed by a believing community. It is good to be in the house of the Lord, amen? And it is good to be here with you this morning. I trust that you're already blessed and sense God's presence here amongst us. Today is Pentecost Sunday in the Christian calendar. It is a day on which we, uh, we ought to maybe be more attentive uh, to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and the work of the Holy Spirit. And of course, in our tradition as a church of the Nazarene, we believe wholeheartedly that God has given His Spirit to us to both indwell us, uh, to fill us, and to lead and to guide us. And so this morning, I want to very briefly share with you some thoughts based on a scripture that perhaps is not a traditional Pentecost Sunday uh, uh, kind of scripture, but a scripture that comes from the Old Testament and has, I believe, some uh, important truth uh, to bear this morning. So before I preach, uh, I trust uh, that you are um, uh, very thankful that we have a, a warm summer day. Uh, it feels like summer to me. And uh, Ruth Ann and I and the, and the kids took a walk yesterday, and uh, I realized yesterday, Gary, I don't walk that much anymore. Um, I realized when, when I was just doing a casual walk and I was starting to breathe heavier that maybe I ought to walk more. Uh, but there's something that happens in my spirit, and I don't know if it's because I, I, I've grown up in a, in a very warm climate, but summer seems to reinvigorate me, or the sun does. And so this morning, I trust that you are thankful for the little things in your life, such as good weather. 
that you are grateful for the greater things in life, such as your children and your family, that you are thankful this morning as a community as I am for health and for the fact that we can worship together like this uh, as the people of God. Uh, Numbers is an interesting book, and particularly this section that I had read this morning. Uh, Our section of Scripture locates Moses as the leader of the people who have left Egypt and are now traveling from Sinai to the Promised Land. It is a, a time of challenge and difficulty for the people. The Scripture teaches us that there was probably 600,000 people plus that were following Moses through the desert. Now, you talk about leadership challenges. I mean, just think of the numbers, think of the conditions, think of the desert, think of the needs of 600,000 people for food, for water, for, for provision, for clear direction. And you can understand, and I can understand and appreciate the kind of leadership that Moses needed at a time like this. We are told in this particular text that the people started to grumble and complain. In fact, Chapters 11, uh, chapter 11 begins like this. There was a small group of people who started to spread discontent. And if you know the scripture, this might be news to you. You've heard it before. But for those of you who don't know, the reason they start to become discontent is because they are getting tired of the same diet. They are getting tired of eating the same rice cake type of manner that God provided miraculously. Yesterday, as uh, Ruthann and the kids and I were walking out uh, just to the pet store, which is our favorite place to go, uh, because we get our pet fix without getting a pet, and uh, as we walked to the pet store, uh, I suggested to my daughter who's sitting here with us, maybe we can just, instead of going back and dad barbecuing something, uh, maybe we could just go to that little pizza store right there and get a pizza. And uh, she looked at me. Now, to me, when I was growing up, that would have been a huge treat. Anybody else like that? To me, that would be like, wow, Christmas has come right in the middle of June. And so I said this to Lauren. I said, let's go and have pizza, uh, you know, as a family. And this was a response. Dad, I had pizza three times this week. And I think if I remember right, she rolled her eyes at me. Now, if I get pizza three times a week, I'd be a lot larger than I am right now, of course. But I'd be really content. But Lauren had three pizzas this week, or three slices of pizza, or how many pizzas she had three times this week, and she didn't want to have any more. The text tells us that the people who are miraculously set free from slavery are provided for miraculously by God, and given this manner in a dry and desolate place, God is providing for them in a in a in a in a profound way, and yet they become they become dissatisfied with God's provision. Uh, this is not my main point, but I think it's worth, worth sharing. In any case, it is interesting to note how a few can affect the whole. It is interesting to read the scripture and realize that the discontent that becomes pervasive amongst the whole community was started by just a few people who did not appreciate or became bored or became kind of frustrated with the same provision over and over. And maybe there is a challenge for you and me to consider that what we do in community, how we use our words, what we speak of, how we express our discontent has the ability both in our home and within the community of faith to not only infect us, but infect others. And I did use the word infect intentionally. But second to this, 
is that their discontent created within them a false perspective of reality. Uh, you know, it, it, they, 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 they were set free under, from tyranny, from an oppressive ruler. They were set free from a man who enslaved them, beat them, kept his thumb upon them, killed them. And yet, as they became discontent about something like manna, they started to long for the enslavement of Egypt because in Egypt, they ate meat, they had fish, and they had vegetables. In fact, if you read earlier in the chapter, you'll find out that they list the specific things that they missed. It would seem to me that in the particular text, The nation are not content with sufficiency, but desires more. And perhaps as a secondary point, before I get to my main point, which is only one today, to which all should be quite delighted, is that it seems the heart of man always longs for more, even when God gives enough. Perhaps one of the most difficult things for us to do in the culture within which we live and the opulence that we enjoy in this wonderful country, perhaps one of the greatest challenges that we can have as parents and grandparents, perhaps one of the biggest responsibilities we ought to carry is to allow our Christian faith in God's provision to bring a sense of contentment to our lives, a a sense of sufficiency. You see, when, when people live discontent lives, it affects those around them. It affects other people. This longing for more, according to the scripture, brings out the very worst in people. In fact, the, the, the text teaches us that the group was starting to kind of become mutinous. They, they wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to return to that which was oppressive and yet somehow to them seemed appealing. In the years that I've been a pastor and on the few occasions that I've counseled people who have been tremendously abused in their childhood or in their relationships or in their marriage, it always struck me how that many times, even through counseling and directing them forward, these people long to return to the relationships that had brought them great pain and great, great frustration. And I think it's true of the human condition that in times of God's leading within our life, the temptation we all have is to return to the places that are familiar, even if those places are oppressive and not good for us. The truth is that those of us who have habitual sin and tries to kind of, you know, uh, ease the longing, deal with the pain, we, we tend to kind of be drawn back to things that we may know is not good for us, but it's familiar and maybe it can help us in a moment to deal with the pain. But the truth be told is the longing to return to Egypt was was a longing that came out of a dissatisfaction that came out of the heart of a person and a people who had forgotten how wonderful and how great a salvation God has brought to them by setting them free. And they lost perspective of just what God has done. I think it is true That for you and me, the Spirit of God is an essential part of our Christian life and should be. 
And one of the ways in which the Spirit of God needs to work within our lives, and I'm maybe teaching more than preaching this morning, and that's okay, is that the Spirit needs to feed our hearts and our souls in such a way that we would become a much more content and satisfied people than a people who is constantly longing for more. So with all this said, Moses is stuck in the middle. On the one hand, he has a a people who are growing mutinous because they want meat to eat. They must have been some, I, I think, I think my, my ancestry must have been from them because meat is really important in our diet groping in South Africa. They wanted to return and they wanted to have meat and they become growingly anxious. They become even angry and frustrated. On the one hand, Moses is seeing this people. They are standing at their tents and they are wailing and crying because they want to return to Egypt. And on the other hand, they have a God who's becoming so angry that his anger literally burns into fire and God burns the outer perimeters of of the, the, the camp with his divine fire. In the middle is Moses, frustrated by all this. He starts to pray and he starts to talk to God. And it's quite hilarious to read Numbers 11. Well, not for Moses, but for us as we look back. Because this is what Moses says. He says, did I ask for this people? Did I ask to lead them? You told me that I should lead them and care for them like a mother cares for a nursing babe. I don't want anything to do with them. In fact, this is what Moses says. The burden of this people is far too much for me. Kill me now. Literally. You know, it's one of those leadership moments that he just go, I can't do this. Look at them. And you want me to lead them, 60,000 of them? And then God says, I will provide. And Moses says, how are you going to provide? There's no meat, there's no water, there's nothing here. There's no way in which we can, we can do what we need to do. And then that great scripture in Numbers that says this, is, there, is, is, is God's arm too short to save and to deliver? And God brings Moses back to the reality that ultimately what the people needed was him. And in response to Moses' lack of leadership and the people's complaint, God makes it clear that what a community of faith most needs as they follow the leading of God is God's Spirit upon them. In particular, God's Spirit to fill the leaders amongst them. Can I say this to you as a group today? What Skyview most needs as we pursue the calling of God for us as a community of faith is not just capable leaders. It is not just leaders with resources. It's not just leaders with talents, but leaders who are set aside by the power and the Spirit of God and is filled with His Spirit so much so that they can lead a people in times when it is most needed and necessary. You know what is interesting to me? is that even though Moses is seen as the singular leader, in this particular chapter, he comes to the end of his leadership capacity by himself, and he makes a profound revelation when God responds to say to the community, 
I cannot lead in and of myself for what God is saying through anointing these 70 others is that if a community of faith is going to move forward, it is going to move forward because God's spirit is resting not only on one, but on many. Where are the spirit-filled leaders in the church? Where are the men and the women who say, God, not my will be done, not complaining and griping about what we don't have, not lacking a contentment. Where are the spiritual leaders who stands by the tent and say, God, fill us with our spirit so that we may lead the people? The calling of the church is to be a spirit-filled people. And so God speaks to Moses. He says, grab these 70 men, put them outside the camp, and as they gather there, the spirit comes upon them and they prophesy. And as I read this, I thought to myself, I can't help but think that maybe God is speaking directly to Stu today. You see, I I tend to think it's just up to me. I tend to think a lot of what I do in life is just up to me. I, I have to do it either in my own strength, and then sometimes I have the sense that maybe I ought to include God somehow. But you know what happens in Moses' life is what happens to any significant leader in Scripture. They come to the end of their limitations and their abilities, and if they have any sense at all, they turn to God, and they wait there to see what God will say to them. And here God makes it clear to Moses what you need is men and women who are filled with His Spirit. This church, as we sit here, not a large amount, I kind of chuckled first at how Jeff laughed when he made a joke, but second at the illusion he made that we are 120 here and how the Spirit came upon 120 in Acts. I love that because I do believe with all my heart that the Spirit of God still fills people. Amen. I'm just going to be quiet. And Jan, you keep preaching right there. Do, do you believe that, you know, this past week I was sitting in my office and, and I had someone come in and, and, and it was a conversation about something completely unrelated. And they challenged me to my core on this very subject. I had no idea I was preaching on it. I had no idea this was in the back of my mind. But they looked me square in the eyes and said, Stu... Are you free to be led and filled with God's Spirit? And let me say this to you. This is not playing on emotion. I wasn't emotional and and weak. I felt the conviction of God upon my life and said, Lord, if I choose, I would choose safety. I would choose my own will. What I need, what I desperately long for is to be filled with your Spirit. Look, friends, look. What a Christian community needs is men and women that long for and are open to the infilling of God's Spirit. Our text teaches us that the response to Moses' leadership dilemma and the people's complaining is the work and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But our text also teaches us why we need the Holy Spirit. And simply put, there are many reasons why we all would need the Holy Spirit in our life. But more significantly, I think our text teaches us two specific things that the Spirit does. The words of the people are words of complaint, words of dissatisfaction. When the Holy Spirit comes upon 
these 70 elders and kind of just spills over like a splash pool onto two innocent bystanders and fills them too, which is quite interesting and funny in the story. Because leaders don't know what to do when God's Spirit moves in other places sometimes. But when the Spirit of God comes upon them, these men prophesy, and we don't know what they said, but one, one commentator, just stay with me for a second, puts it this way, that the language here is indicative of 1 Samuel 10, where the Spirit fell upon Saul and Saul prophesied. And what Saul prophesied in 1 Samuel 10 is to bring praise to God. And here's what I want to suggest. One of the reasons we need the Holy Spirit to fall upon us as a group, as leaders, as pastors, is because what we need is the kinds of words spoken in community that brings glory to God and not dissatisfaction amongst ourselves. What we need is the kinds of words that bring healing and restoration and hope and remind ourselves and others of God's great plan for us. For our tendency without the Spirit is to use the kinds of words that not build community, that does not lead community, but brings divisiveness amongst community. We need the Spirit to put in us that which will come out of us that will bring glory to God. The question I have to ask this morning is, what kind of language do we carry? What kind of words do we speak? How do we speak of God's work and God's uh, role in our life? What is it that, that our lives say, that we verbally communicate? What is it that we, we represent when we talk about Him? Oh, but when the Spirit came upon these 70, they did not complain and maybe go along with the crowd who said, we don't like manna anymore. We've had enough pizza. We want something different and we want to return to Egypt. But when the Spirit fell upon these men... No longer was the insignificant the significant, but the important things of the community became the important things of the community. And what God did was not fill their stomachs, but he filled them with his very own presence. What we need is a people who does not determine from God that what they most need is material things, but in fact longs for God himself. And the way that God gives himself is through the power and the anointing of the Spirit of God. This is is way outside of our comfort zones. We like a controlled religion, a controlled church service, a controlled pastor who doesn't get too excited. We like to measure our Christianity and know how we ought to do things just quite right. But when the Spirit comes upon people, they speak words that are necessary in the community, and the Spirit does not only speak through them, but fills others that no one else invited to the party. What we need is men and women that are filled with God's Spirit. So that our language matches what is filling us. You know, you may think this is a rather silly story. Manna, uh, I think it's in verses 11 of, ch- of chapter 11. I'm not sure. I'm guessing 7 through 11, I think. Where manna is described as, 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 as kind of a coriander seed blend. Does that sound appetizing? Already, I I can't handle it, you know. I can relate more to the Israelites than I can to being a spiritual man right there. It's described as as them taking it and kneading it into a flour and then with adding some dew that they collect at night, they would create these rice cakes. Has anybody ever eaten rice rice cakes? How undelicious are they? (laughs) 
I mean, let's just be honest. They might be good for me, and maybe I should eat a few more rice cakes than burgers. But let's be honest. Bland. You know, I started to think about this, and I thought to myself that, that when my attention is on the material so much, when, when my attention or, or my life is driven by my stomach, by my wants, then God will be awfully disappointing. In fact, my Christian life will feel awfully disappointing. If God exists to give me what I want, to satisfy my taste, then let I say very honestly to all of us here, many of us will feel that God is letting us down. You see, in this narrative, we most relate to the Israelites. We are most like them, for we too have tasted elsewhere and thought this is better. For some of us, our Christianity has become rather bland. We, 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 kind, of just, we just kind of go with the waves. We, we, we disconnected and we checked out. You know, for some of us, we're kind of like, 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 like that ambivalent church in the book of Revelation. We just kind of exist in mediocrity. And we think that, that, that we have tasted as much as we can taste, and this is about as good as it's going to get, and this is not really that good. And oh God, help us. For what we need, friends, we don't need more programs. Listen, we, we don't need better, better strategies. Sometimes strategies and programs are great, but where it needs to start is we need to know God again. As, as, as the Archbishop Desmond Tutu said, in the marrow of our bones, we need to have real-time encounters with the Spirit of God. And we ought not to fear this. We ought to seek it and open our lives for it. For if God's Spirit is not upon a believing community, we tend to long to go back instead of forward. And we tend to start developing taste for things that does not take us to sufficiency and contentment, but rather discontentment and the want of more. Amen? Not only does do we need the Spirit to put in our mouths the kinds of words that edify, but we need the Spirit within us to lead us where God is taking us. The uh, the Israelites longed to go back to Egypt. They knew Egypt. You know, uh, you all know, and you know that I was raised in South Africa. I wasn't raised on the prairies uh, or anything like that. I know that shocks you. I look like a farm boy. I know. This is my attempt, attempt to be humorous, but. Uh, uh, South Africa, apartheid history, um, half a. Uh, 50, 50 plus years, I think. Um, you know, apartheid, racial segregation, color mattered. Uh, uh, people were divided in classes. Yeah, uh, you were you were were determined to be able to travel in certain classes of transportation, and still to this day. And and I think of some of you who have been to South Africa. You you still see the classification of people, even though apartheid has been demolished. You still see how people live you know, apart from one another. And what is really remarkable and probably one of the most hurtful things that I experienced, I am here today because I've had a grandmother who's been faithful and prayed for me. Anybody ever have a grandmother that just prays for you because they know you need it real bad? But this very same grandmother, when she visited me a number of years ago before she passed, in a conversation with her about South African apartheid, said this. She says, Stu, I actually find myself 
longing to live back in apartheid because it was easier for us then. And I remember how confused I was. I, I, I remember how frustrated I was. I remember how I thought, how can, how can this great woman of faith, a woman that I grew up hearing pray and ask God's will to be done and, 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 and pray for me by name, all three of my names, you know, <laughs> that's when you know you're really prayed for, you know, when they invite like Trinitarian prayers, you know, like, you know, Stuart Norman, that's my name, Norman. I am a little bit shy of that name, but it's nonetheless Stuart Norman Williams. I'd hear her pray. Her last words to a dear friend here in Toronto when she left before she would pass away was, you keep on praying for that boy because he would need that prayer. When this woman said what she said, it kind of felt like a hammer blow. And I said, why? I guess I can understand why, because to be honest with you, South Africa hasn't really improved as people had thought it would improve in a democratic society. I mean, there's still poverty. There's still HIV AIDS. More people are dying of it than ever has died in that particular part of the world. And there's still all of these crazy, crazy things things happening in this incredibly beautiful and blessed country. But what my grandmother failed to grasp is that the journey to freedom is a hard one, a difficult one, but where God wants to take his people is far better than where they have been before. You see, you will only grow in your faith when you are willing to walk with God, leading you through the hard and difficult desert moments of your life. You will only grow closer to Him when you learn to follow Him in the hope and belief that where He is taking you is a freedom that you had never yet experienced. You see, what Grandma lost is what the Israelites lost. The immediacy and the difficulties in the moment made them feel that where they were going was not better than where they have been. Dare I say to you that what the Spirit of God does in a community of faith, it says this, even when the going gets tough, where I am taking you is far greater than where you have been. You see, we need the Spirit to not only put the kind of words in our mouth that we need, but we need the Spirit to lead us. What was at stake for the nation of Israel was not just the provision of manna, but it was a promised land where the people would become the witness that God desired them to be. And this morning, I want to invite two close friends. They were a part of this community of faith when I first came here. They were single then. And since my presence, many have decided to get married. <laughs> I, 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 I can't take any direct responsibility for that. But, uh, but they were single when I first came here. And from the moment I met them, and actually I'd known Jonathan years before, we went on a trip together to uh, Juarez, Mexico, I think. Uh, the two of them were involved in our youth ministry. And from the moment, I just, just loved both of them. Um, they were just in love with each other. So, I mean, at that time when I met them, I mean, that's all they could talk, see in each other. You know, they could just see each other. But they left, not because I came, but they left shortly after I came and after they got married and went to London, England. And uh, we caught up when they returned not too long ago, and they're back reacclimatizing now to our culture here. 
Um, and we met together and talked, and I heard what God's Spirit had been doing in their lives. And so this morning, as a way of kind of closing my thoughts, I'd like to invite Leanne and Jonathan uh, to come and join me up here, and if you would make them feel a little comfortable by maybe applauding. I'm going to let you choose which chairs you want. They kind of, they kind of set up, aren't they? Yeah. Only one person caught that, but uh, I have my notes here. Um, it's not a coincidence, by the way, that when I speak on the work of the Holy Spirit or why we need the Holy Spirit, this is not going to work. It's broken. Yeah. I'll take this one, Jonathan. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's not coincidence that on the day of Pentecost, I ask uh, the two of you uh, to share because our conversations inevitably has led to what the Spirit of God has done in your lives. And um, uh, first of all, let me say that I'm delighted you're here. But I, I was wondering and hoping that maybe uh, you could share with us as a community of faith just what God did. You had an agenda with going. You can talk about that. <laughs> but what God's agenda was and what he did in both of your lives when you uh, went over to England. Sure. So um, uh, the reason why we moved was so that I could study a master's degree in children's literature. So we were just meant to go for one year. And uh, like Stuart says, that was sort of the agenda. But I do think God kind of used that as the cover and was like, yeah, 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 you're going for this master's, but actually um, I'm going to do some pretty serious work in your lives. So, um, yeah. Okay. Do you want <laughs> uh, to expand on that? I guess, um, so I was, I was looking for work for a while um, and did end up finding a job at the church that we were attending, which was called Holy Trinity Brompton. Um, HTB for short. So I was working in the IT department there. And uh, right off the bat, when we started going to the church after the first couple of weeks, um, we got connected with a good group of people there in a pastorate, like a small group setting um, that were able to encourage us and, and, and grow us. And we started learning more and more about, um, about different things going on at the church. And God was moving in us and teaching us different things over the course of the time that we were there. Um, London ended up being very difficult. It was really challenging, um, partly because rent is so expensive and jobs at uh, charities are pay so low. Um, so the budget was very, very tight. We were we had months where we weren't sure um, if the money would last to the end of the month. You know, people have been in those situations before where you realize, well, I don't know if we are going to have enough groceries this month, and we're feeding our pastor this Saturday. Um, so we'll give them all the food we have. And then we'll see what happens later on. And, and we found in many, those situations, God provided, you know, we had people around us that said, oh, actually, we heard about what was going on. Here's a gift card. Or, you know, we had people come and visit us and say, we're coming and visiting. You're letting us stay here. We're going to buy everything. You know, we're, we're going to feed you. We're going to leave groceries behind. We're taking you to high tea and shows in the West End. Um, so that kind of thing was, was very encouraging. <laughs> Yeah, so then just um, over the course of our time at HTB and uh, through our pastorate, I mean, it was just hugely formational. Formational. Um, 
we had rehearsed this a little bit, and now it's all gone. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, we were able to participate in a lot of the ministries there. So we sort of, we loaded up on courses. So we did like a prayer ministry course. We took the marriage course. Um, and then eventually, uh, once I finished my degree, I started working in the Relationship Central Department of um, Alpha International. Um, so technically, we worked in the same building. Jonathan's paycheck came from the church. My paycheck came from the international charity. And... Um, and yeah, and it was just, uh, like Jonathan mentioned, actually, the community there was so strong. Um, I thought maybe we'd share this one story of uh, our, we missed the first Christmas because we were just going to come home in a year, decided to extend the visas. We're going to come home for the second Christmas, uh, put in the application for our visas, and the passports didn't come back uh, before our flight t- uh, took off. And so... Um, we lost money on flights, and it was a really devastating time. And not only did the people from our pastorate sort of draw us in and host us for Christmas and were really warm and loving, um, I started working at Alpha at Relationship Central just the following April. And um, Jonathan happened to share the staff talk that week and just very, very briefly kind of mention it. And within 24 hours, the community had just taken an offering. Um, they knew that we were then heading back to Canada very soon, and <laughs> Jonathan's manager hands him this fat envelope. There were dollar bills in there that are pound notes, sterling notes, in colors we had never seen before. <laughs> and we were like, how much money is this? <laughs> um, so just like such an outpouring of generosity and, um, and love. And actually, uh, such a great story of God's provision, because to the pound... The amount that was given to us was actually um, the cost of the flight, the return flights to and from the UK. And also, um, uh, we because it was our first trip back in a year and a half, we were like, we got to go to BC, we got to go to Saskatchewan, we got to do it all. So there was internal flights uh, between Alberta, BC, and Saskatchewan as well. And um, to the pound, it covered that. So it was just an incredible testimony of God's provision for us um, and in that time in our lives. So, yeah. Now, um, this is not in the script, but okay for me to ask, <laughs> I think. Some of you who study culture, and particular religion and culture, would probably know this that when we evaluate the influence of Christianity in the Western world, that um, we are we're considered to be a post-Christian culture in Canada, which essentially means that Christianity no longer has that kind of dominant influence that it once did. More people are non-religious, but it is even more so in the UK. And that Britain is considered to be further ahead than most as is most European countries, in terms of post-Christian thought, belief, and practice. It is quite interesting to me, of course, that this particular church is a vibrant and growing church. For some of you who don't know this, this particular church launched what's called Alpha, and we're going to hear from you in just a minute about that. But this is a church that is growing, and it seemed to me, now help me out if I'm wrong, that one of the reasons it grew, because this church was tremendously dependent on God's Spirit. Now, that's a leading question. <laughs> but can you just share a little bit on what God did in that church and through that church? Yes. 
I'll start and then you can fill in the blanks. Okay. Um, so I think, yeah, uh, HTB definitely, uh, a very spirit led church and it kind of started, um, I think several years ago. They were influenced by some of the works of, uh, John Wimber. And so I think really what they, uh, simply did in their church was that they started praying every service. They always say the oldest prayer in the Bible, which is come Holy Spirit. And, um, and so it sounds like we, uh, before our time, there was some serious outpouring of the Spirit in um, probably ways that we would consider incredibly weird and possibly threatening and a little bit scary. And um, and then, of course, sort of have come along. And Alpha was a part of that, of course, um, bringing people in, more people coming to Christ and, and coming to the church. Um, so while we were there, obviously, we, we, have, we entered into this sort of legacy and... Um, Still, every service, um, it was a very large church, um, which is why the pastorate community was so important. But every service, they will pray, come Holy Spirit. And there's just a period of waiting. And it's, um, you know, it's always lovely and powerful and um, sweet and gentle. And um, and where was I going with that? Uh, <laughs> just, <laughs> that's okay. Um, I think I've lost my train of thought. Jonathan, do you have anything to add? To <laughs> no, I guess, I guess probably because of the, the the background that they've had. Um, there's there's a lot of good. We got some good training on how to pray for people. So at the end of the service, you know, different people who were involved on the prayer team or on staff would would come and and, and pray for people that are coming up and asking for prayer. And um, learning how to listen as well. I think not just pray. Well, I'm going to pray, but. Maybe just stop and listen and say, you know, God, what, what do you want to say to this person? You know, what, what, is, what is it that you want to speak to them through my prayer? And, and, and going through training to learn sort of how do we listen to God? That kind of thing was, was quite prevalent as well. And you saw that in some of, the, some of the services as well, time to, as leaders, to say, you know what, I think, I think God's saying, you know, we need to be doing this or this. Or actually, like sometimes words of knowledge too in the services. Like God, I think... I have a sore shoulder. You know, I think there's somebody here who maybe has separated their shoulder and could use prayer. Like, if that's you, why don't you come up and we'll pray for you. And those kinds of things would happen a lot in the services. You know, different people coming up for healing and coming up to to receive um, such a blessing. So, yeah, it was quite common. It was really encouraging to hear so many stories as well. Stories of healing was very encouraging to see those kinds of things happening um, when you're allowing God to work. Uh, It's incredible what he'll sometimes do. Amen. I think that, I think that for the sake of time, but I do want to speak about this a little bit. Uh, one, one comment, if I may, and I'm still preaching, by the way. Uh, but, um, one comment that I would make is, is, is I guess that in some ways, we tend to, uh, be less sensitive to the movement and the possibilities of God amongst us in our services. Uh, we tend to be very programmed sometimes and, and follow the rules, and sometimes that's good. I grew up in a culture where there was no order of service, which wasn't good either. Uh, but certainly in, in, in our church, as we move forward, what would it look like for us to have times in which we just wait, maybe more often than not, on what God is saying and doing? I wonder if, if, if we as a culture can take that step where we say we believe God has something to say, that the Spirit is moving. And uh, I know that's not what you're saying here, because you know I can say that because they expect that from me. But that's what your experience has been. Significantly, though, I asked the two of you if you would consider piloting a, a alpha ministry uh, 
in the fall. And I think it's important that we solicit the prayer of people. But could you just very briefly tell us what Alpha is and um, how it works? Okay, so uh, very simply, Alpha is an opportunity for people to come and ask their questions about spirituality, faith, uh, the church, and Jesus. Um, so just to give a quick a cap of what it is, um, most of the courses are a 10-week course, uh, and there's sort of, uh, I think, four key ingredients. Um, there's sort of the friendship aspect. So you come, you have, you meet in a small group. Um, within that group, there will be two hosts and two to three helpers who are obviously kind of from within the church. Um, and then, or, you know, most likely Christian. And, um, and then you have the, the other people who join the group. Uh, you eat a meal together sort of have that chance to just relax and chat together, get to know one another. And then uh, there is a talk on an aspect of Christianity. So things such as, um, is there more to life than this? Uh, how and why do I pray? Who was Jesus? Sort of, can I trust the Bible? Things like that. Um, so there's a number of those talks. And then following the, following the talk, there's a time of discussion. And, uh, I know in our experience, we had the great pleasure of helping on one, um, Alpha course and then hosting on another. And, um, it is, it's awesome. It's just an opportunity for people to just come and lay their concerns and lay their thoughts and bring them all to the table, and a, just a, a discussion time where all of those questions are, are freely welcomed, and, um, and uh, yeah, it's hugely enriching. I don't know if you want to add anything to that? I guess I'll just, I'll just add that, uh, that, that what makes what we found made it so effective, and we were so encouraged by it, is that there's a really welcoming atmosphere, atmosphere there, so really anybody can come. They say, come, just come once and try it, see what you think. Like, there's no obligation to stay. Um, there's, there's, no, you know, there's no charge. Like, you just come and, and be involved, and you can bring all your questions. And it's sort of postmodern in, in that, you know, we don't, you don't have to, you don't teach. Like, you, don't, you listen to the talk, and then in the discussion time, all you do is listen to people's concerns and questions and have a dialogue together. And you don't have to have any answers. Like you, you let people throw out all their questions and throw out all their ideas, and they'll either come and they'll have questions, honest questions that they will get answered, or they'll come and say, I'm going to take down some Christians. <laughs> I am going to take you down, and they'll debate you. And then once you let them debate and throw out all those things, and they realize that they're still loved by you, and that you, you can come again next week and get to know them, and they're building friendship, and they're accepted then they'll continue to come and they'll, they'll learn all these things about Christianity through the talks and, and through the friendship and the small group aspect. And, uh, and their lives will end up being changed. If they came antagonistic, they'll sort of move a little bit closer to Jesus. Or if they came searching, they'll find Jesus. Or if they're you know, further out and they have no idea, maybe they'll, at the end of the course they'll think about reading the Bible, maybe. And it just sort of moves everybody closer and builds relationship that way. So. Wonderful. I, um, I, I know we don't have the time, but one of the operative things for Alpha is to have that prayed for. Because ultimately, as you don't offer answers, you do pray that God's Spirit would be abundant with people. And it was interesting to me when I, when I, when I met with you that it, it really felt to me that you have to trust that God's actually present there because you're not the answer man. And beyond that, that some people responded and said, yes, we want to draw closer to God. Others said, we're still where we are, but at least we don't think that Christians are snobs and we can have honest doubts. And in our particular culture and as a church, we want to reach people who don't know the message of Jesus Christ. 
And so I, um, I want to ask as we close this time, how can we as a community of faith help prepare for Alpha in the fall? So um, the really big thing, of course, is prayer. Um, it, it's all the work of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can, can bring people to Jesus. There's nothing we can do. It's all his job. So, um, so uh, number one, pray for people. I think just a, a general prayer uh, that God would be moving in people's hearts, that his spirit would be drawing people um, across the city, sort of peaking, bringing questions to their mind, warming their hearts to him, drawing them near to him. And then um, a second prayer of who you guys can invite. Um, there is a statistic I just read. 86% of people do come to Alpha because they were personally invited. So um, I think it's a great challenge for all of us, and it's totally totally challenge for me because I there's a few people in my mind who I'm like oh I should probably invite them but I really don't want to um so uh just I think if all of us here invited you know one person one friend who has always sort of skirted around the edges of our Christian faith or you know one neighbor who maybe has questions about um our faith just one person I think that we could probably easily have I I've there's technically like a hundred people in the service today. So, (laughs) so, you know, we could have a hundred people on our, on the first alpha. Um, and, uh, what were the other prayers? Well, Oh, what kind of help could could they offer? Yes, certainly. Thank you. Stay on track, Leanne. Um, so, uh, yeah, and then pray about how you might want to be involved. And, of course, uh, there's, apart from inviting somebody who you know, there's some very key specific ways that you can be involved. So, very simply, we mentioned being a host or a helper. Um, hosts obviously carry a little bit more of the responsibility for the group, maybe a touch more um, administration, although primarily, I, at least at this point, I think we're kind of the administrative team up here. Um, and then helpers, you get a slightly easier job. Uh, we, we have always been told and we totally agree that especially if you are a newer Christian or, you know, maybe you've been away from the church for a while and you're just coming back, being a helper is like perfect. Like we would love uh, for you to be a helper. But equally, um, if you are inviting somebody and you feel more comfortable to join them as a guest, we like pray about that, see where God is leading you, because that's certainly a great way to do it as well. Um, And then we will need a bit of a support team to get this going. It will, of course, depend on the numbers that we sort of get, um, but uh, pray about whether you'd like to help us provide food, because that's going to be a key, key component. People really warm up when they've got food in their their plates. It's my message. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. I don't want to sound complaining. Maybe more flavorful than manna, <laughs> manna from heaven. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we will need um, uh, people to provide food and, like, some of those key pieces. So uh, just pray about how you'd be involved. And we would love to to talk about it with you and, and hear your thoughts. And um, we're really excited to see where this could go. So Praise God. Why don't we give them a hand? Thank you so much. Guys, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, you can leave the chairs, or Johnson's going to need one. I would invite uh, Stephanie to come, and we're going to kind of uh, wind down our service together. Uh, But I do want to give opportunity for response. Uh, Maybe God has spoken to you uh, about uh, his calling upon your life to be that spirit-filled leader. Um, I I want to just say to you that that I really um, trust God to raise up leaders amongst us. And... and, um, Maybe you're open to that. Maybe you're saying today, you know what, Stu, I, I really want to lead, not only just out of my own wisdom, but I want to be led and filled with God's Spirit. 
so necessary. Maybe today there's someone here who says, you know, my Christian life feels rather anemic. I, I feel like I'm just kind of tossing back and forth. I'm just, I, I've been around. I know all things do, but something is, is, is glaringly wrong in me. And, and what that might be is that you need a, a fresh touch of God. You need His Spirit upon you. And um, as Stephanie sings this, I invite you uh, to respond to what the Spirit is saying to you today. Amen? Let us stand together.